What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. I'm Scott Lease, here with my co-host and good friend, Richard Harris. And we're brought to you today by Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Gong.io, and our friends at lead411.com. Still time to talk to them and get your 2021 off to a great start. We are joined here today by a very special guest, a long, long ways away from us right now. And uh, I think he's up pretty early helping us out. We're here with our friend, Tony Hughes, who has more titles and more books and more, I don't know, awards than anybody else I know. He has way more followers than us for sure. I'm going to say, Tony, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Tony is the co-founder and sales innovation director at Sales IQ Global, amongst other things. But I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Welcome to the show, Tony. Uh, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Richard. Really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks so much for being here. Well, tell everybody real quick kind of who you are. Don't go into your whole you know, life history or anything like that, but <laughs> tell, people, tell people the 60-second you know, synopsis of your background, what you've sold, where you've sold it, what your leadership experience is like. Give people context of, of, of who you are if they somehow don't know you. So I was a business person very early in my life. At 25, I jumped on a plane and went to the USA. So I lived in, uh, in Anaheim in LA for two years, had my own company over there, uh, came back to Australia, dealt with a whole lot of family tragedy, needed to stay in Australia and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do in business. So I decided that I needed to go learn how to sell. Uh, and selling uh, absolutely fascinated me. I was rubbish at selling when I first got into it, but I became pretty good. And I realized, man, you can actually make really good money and have a great lifestyle. And I've always believed that selling is about making a positive difference in the lives of others, personally and professionally. You know, it's not about crushing quota and doing something to somebody. Um, and I ended up getting into management. Uh, long story short, uh, I've set sales records as a rep that have never been broken. Uh, ended up being sales director for public companies and CEO running Asia Pacific for North American multinationals. Eight years ago, I left the corporate world and went out on my own as a, as a consultant. And uh, I actually consult to Salesforce as a sponsor. They're just such an epically fantastic company. Uh, but I work with some of the biggest brands in the world. And the big problem I find that everybody's got is not enough sales pipeline. So that's where I've really gravitated to to help people solve that problem. I want to go back to you being, quote, rubbish when you first started. <laughs> I want to know... Why were, why were you so bad? What, what, was, what was so hard? You know, that's what I want to know. What, what were you terrible at when you say that? Well, look, without, without oversharing here, um, uh, I got a phone call on my 25th birthday from my stepdad. I was in LA and it, it was my birthday and I thought he was calling to wish me happy birthday. Uh, instead, he called me to let me know that my mother had liver cancer. Um, so I flew back to Sydney. Uh, seven weeks later, my mother died. Uh, my stepdad, believe it or not, uh, killed a guy in a fight that was at my mum's funeral a few weeks later. Crazy stuff. My sister tried to commit suicide. My dog got run over. My car got stolen. My wife left me and I lost my business in America. I had three biggest clients. Two of them filed chapter 11 and went bankrupt. So like everything that could go wrong went wrong, right? And, I, and with all this going on, I needed to stay in Sydney. I couldn't go back to the States with, you know. What time? Is this all within a year? This is within seven weeks. 
this oh, is in a, that was in seven weeks. Oh this my is God. in a seven week period, right? So, so I, I I needed to get resilient pretty quick, right? Um, so so the thing that happened was I needed to stay in Sydney. I needed to make a living. We were getting royalties for twelve years from selling my company in Australia before I went to the states, and part of that was a non compete. So I thought I can't go back into the industry I know. So do you know what? What I learned in America is I had this bad attitude about selling. And I wasn't very good at it. And I thought, oh, that's a skill I need to develop in life, no matter, what, no matter what I want to do as an entrepreneur. So I got a job in sales, in radio paging. Remember those old beepers? You know, oh, yeah. Have, right? uh, it was around the time of the very first Wall Street movie uh, with those, you know, those big phones, right? So those phones were just coming to market. So I thought I wanted to do business-to-business selling. Uh, and I got a job in the radio paging and phone industry there are 110 reps. Two of the reps that I became friends with later, when I joined, they had a personal bet about how long I'd last before I got fired or quit. Uh, they jokingly called me the razor blade kid. You know, in other words, you know, hey, you go run a warm bath, Tony will bring the razor blades, right? So, so I wasn't in a good frame of mind. But here's the thing. I decided that uh, selling is largely about numbers. So I, I went on a mission to find out what are the input metrics that make someone successful? You know, how, how many phone calls do they make? How many meetings do they book? How many proposals do they get out? And I, I looked at reverse engineering success. And when I figured out what those numbers was, what those numbers were, I increased them by one third because I thought I'm not very good. Yeah. And what, what I found in life is, is you get good in the doing not in the theorizing. And I just worked really hard. And I had an awesome sales manager, an amazing guy that invested in me. He did ride-alongs with me one day every week. And he wouldn't jump in and rescue me, which is a mistake a lot of people that do coaching, you know, make or sales managers. Um, he let me fail. He let me reflect and debrief. And I ended up becoming the most successful person in that industry, uh, in the history of it in Australia. I sold to IBM at 70 percent higher prices than they were paying the competition now this is about 35 years ago as bizarre as it sounds ibm is still a customer of this company today because wow. radio paging still has a role wow but what okay there's a, a million things to try to un, unpack here so when he's when your manager is doing these ride-alongs and and giving you feedback like what were you lousy at though, Tony? Were you, did you have call reluctance initially? And that's where you, you just got over it and, and then you know, applied the math behind it. Were you too aggressive? Were you too gentle? Did you not listen? Well, they're, they're all great questions. Um, the, the first thing I'd say, and this really applied to me, is that success in life is largely about getting out of your own way. <laughs> A lot, a lot of us self-sabotage ourselves. And, and the truth is, I, I had this negative uh, attitude about selling. I was ashamed of the fact that I was in sales. When I'd go to a barbecue on the weekends and someone would say, hey, really good to meet you, Tony. What do you do for a living? You know, I'd, I'd struggle to spit out the fact that I worked in sales. I thought selling was akin yeah. to prostitution or something. So uh, yeah. I needed to get over that and develop a mindset. It's a sure, mindset a thing, right? And yeah. I needed to adopt this mindset that no, selling is about helping somebody. My, my job is to break into their world and get their attention in a positive way, help set a vision for a, for a brighter, better future for them, help them gather the consensus in their organization to support the change and build the business case that justifies the funding. 
So, uh, and what I thought is, uh, you know, they need my help. It's, it's, it's my job to, to earn their respect and build the conversation. So the first thing was a lack of belief in selling as a profession. The next thing was I needed to improve my own interaction with people. I, I actually uh, had, because I believe the, you know, in, in the plasticity of the brain and the ability for us to, to change even our personalities, that's a tough one to change personalities, but we can certainly change uh, attitudes and values and we control what our actions are. Um, but what I, what I decided was that although I was an, uh, an analytic personality, uh, I needed to become more expressive. I needed to become more of a driver, not, not in a bullish, pushy way, but I needed to, to set a goal and, and go on a mission. What, when, you ha- when you talk to people now, right, and you, maybe they're in a slump, uh, imposter syndrome, or they're in their own way, what kind of advice do you give someone, right? Because it's hard to, you can't just tell someone, you know, Tony, you're in your own way. Get out of your own way. Like that, that was, that was the kind of a training I got, <laughs> you know, I was, um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit older than Scott. So closer to you. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, STFU get back on the phone kind of stuff. What, <laughs> what, what kind of, what kind of advice do you give to people? So the first thing is most sellers um, less so in the USA, there's more hustle in the USA and places like London. I work all around the world my frustration with the Australian market, you know, my 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 base is uh, there just isn't the edge in people and what they do. They're, 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 they're too lax. But the first thing is most sellers do enough every day to not feel guilty rather than do what it actually takes to be successful. That's the first thing. So, so what I say to people is, uh, you know, this is meant to be a profession <laughs> and you're behaving unprofessionally. So you should know your numbers. The language of leaders is numbers. The language of success, you know, is numbers. So, so, you know, what's your average deals? What's your quota? What's your gap? What's your average deal size? How long does it take to close a typical deal? If you've got different products or solutions you're selling, then go and segment that. But let's work out how many deals do you need to close? How many meetings do you need to have to be able to put proposals in front of people? So think about proposal to close rate. Think, think about meetings to be able to put proposals in front of people. Uh, think about how many calls or what I call combos because any, any outbound activity that's using a single channel is doomed to failure. That's super low success rate. So you've got to drive combinations of concurrent outreach. We need to pattern interrupt the way that people are wired to ignore sellers. So the thing is you phone, you leave a voicemail, you send an email, you text them, you WhatsApp them. You send them an in-mail, you, you get a carrier pigeon to go and deliver something. You get the dinosaur fax machine to fire up in their office. Hey, so you- Tony, I want to I ask you, because like, you yeah. have perspective that I have, right? Yeah. Long time ago, you, know, you and I sold before email, right? Yes. There, there was no omni-channel approach, right? Which was a very different mentality, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, does, does that mean that, you know, people like Scott who came along after us or they're just the weaker mindset because they had all these extra tools in there? <laughs> there it is. That's, that's the quote of the week for Scott. Uh, you know, without going down the, you know, you know, I went uphill two ways in the snow kind of stuff, right? Like, <laughs> um, did you, do you feel like we've gotten to too many channels is my question? Do you feel like? Yes. Yeah. You know, I do. Um, 
the the latest book it's a, it's a shameless self-promotion i apologize but my next book is called tech powered sales i'm co-authoring it with justin michael in america it's being published by harper collins new york and the american management association in june but we talk about this you know most people are bewildered by the tech stack they're trying to work with um, and there's so many channels and so much noise, it's very easy to thrash around in all of these channels and technologies and actually be ineffective. Um, and Richard, you're right, you know, back in the day when I started selling, there was, there was the phone and there was going and visiting people. But even in visiting people, what I made sure I did is I put lots of space between each appointment and I would turn up 30 minutes early at least for every appointment and I would door knock all of their neighbors in business, right? And I would, I would ask for the business case of, because the person I sold to was head of service or head of sales in that particular market. But I'd say, um, hey, I'm just visiting my client next door. Uh, I was early. Do you mind if I ask, you know, who's the sales manager? Is he in? Can I grab his business card? And then when I get back, I'd call them. Um, but the reality for people is we've got awesome tools today. LinkedIn Sales Navigate is incredible. Now, I, I feel I've got the right to say this because um, I became the, the third most read person in the world in the LinkedIn platform on the topic of selling. I've got half a million followers in social, 340,000 as we record this in LinkedIn. I've published 500 long form articles in LinkedIn. I nearly killed myself publishing content in LinkedIn to build following. So I'm a fan of social selling. I'm a fan of LinkedIn, but narcissistically gazing at your LinkedIn profile and grooming it and connecting with people is not selling. You know, like LinkedIn's an awesome research platform. It's one of the channels, but it's not a substitute for driving what I call combos at people, phone, voicemail, email. And the fact that so few people are getting back on the phone is the very reason to do it. So what, so let's say you had to choose one, right? You know, who do, who do you get to invite to dinner kind of question, right? What's your, and think about it from two perspectives, one from your perspective, but what if you're that new SDR, right? What if you're that AE, you know, and you had to choose just one or two channels, where would you direct them? Cause you can't, to your point, you can't do them all at once. Well, he's, so I, I am gonna answer the question, but let me just frame it up. The, the, the thing we know is that at any given point in time, only 3% of the market is actively looking for what we sell. About 40% of the market is open and the rest of the market is just flat out not interested. <laughs> now, like may, maybe you can convert them, but that's very hard. So if, if you just pounded the phone in an unintelligent way, super low yield rate. If you just blasted out email, super low yield rate. And if you use automation tools to blast out emails, you end up getting blacklisted, you know, within corporates and stuff anyway. So, so my view is, we need to get back on the phone. If you said there's only one tool you can use, you can't succeed just with one, but the first thing is the phone. <laughs> the first thing is the phone. Then I'd say if you're in B2B selling, it's LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And then I'd add to that sales intelligence tools, things you know like Zoom Info or Lucia, for example, things that give you direct cell phone numbers and email addresses. Um, and then if you've got clarity, I'll just back up a little bit now. So that, that's kind of the essential stack, the bare minimum. And just to back up a little bit, you then need, need to make sure that you've got clarity about product market fit and your ideal customer profile. So targeting is really important. The big constraint we're all dealing with is lack of time, not lack of market. So know your ideal customer profile, right? So if, if you sell into um, a particular vertical industry, well, what are the attributes of the ideal customer in that industry? 
The next thing is then know your buyer personas, right? So if there's two or three people or seven people that form consensus for a decision for the thing you sell, who are they? And know what matters to them. And then the third thing is build customer-centric conversations, what I call a value narrative that's around that buyer persona. So for example, you know, what I do now is I sell sales training and enablement. What I learned was when I call ahead of sales, I, very, I learned very early, stop crapping on about what I do. <laughs> hey, we've got an e-learning sales enablement platform with Sales IQ Global. And we, you know, we do training on pipeline and you know, winning the complex deal and negotiation and account management. No one wants any of that. None of them want any of that crap, right? What I learned to say was, um, hey, 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 Mike, congratulations on getting the gig as VP of sales. Um, I've got some ideas on how you can get more of your reps hitting quota and in a way where you can de-risk the forecast by being able to hold them to account for self-generating pipeline. Do you mind if I ask, how many of your reps are on target year to date right now? How much pipeline coverage have you got this quarter and next quarter? And where do you think it needs to be? And then no matter what their answer is, because it's always a bad answer to those questions, <laughs> hey, it, absol it absolutely, makes, absolutely makes sense for us to have a conversation. Right? And, and then you're in. And I haven't talked about where I'm from, what I do, what our solutions are, what the analysts think of us. It's just about this new person in their role. So knowing buyer personas is really key. And then if you can monitor for trigger events and harness the power of trusted relationships in referrals, because a trigger event, for example, a new senior person starting in a new role is a trigger event. They've been hired by their boss to affect change. They're looking for some quick wins in their role. Whereas people that have been in a role for a long time, they just see change as a lot of work and risk. So if you can monitor for those trigger events, you start with context, right? You've got a contextualized conversation. And if you can combine it with a trusted relationship, now you're starting with a level of trust. And context and trust is the X factor in creating pipeline. And also, I feel like I'm raving on here, I'll just stop. But, 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 the, but the whole thing is, is that opening is the most important and the most difficult phase of selling. You know, everyone focuses on creating progression and closing the deal. Yeah. Um, th that's, the, I mean- that was, That's like dating, right? It's hard to say hello. It's hard to ask, exactly. you know, it's hard to ask the girl for the dance, right? You know? Yeah, and, and, and the thing I say to sellers is, look, you can be the best closer in the world. You can run the best discovery process, the best rapport builder, you know, managing politics, building a business case. It's all a moot point if you can't open. You, like you have to find a way to break into the world of the person that needs you. Yeah. And I was, as you're we're going through, you know, that breakdown there, how much of that breakdown by Tony Richard just sounded familiar, by the way? I, all of it. Like this yeah. is all, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, um, I feel very good right now because like- I'm validated. Everything Tony is saying is like validating me in my existence right now. That's how I feel. I'm like, I've been doing this pretty good without knowing, without having these conversations with Tony. How's yeah. that I, I have I have a question for you. And it pertains to uh, pipeline, which is your big focus and you just mentioned. And I'm going to hope not to get a, uh, well, every situation is unique type of response. So try not to give me that response. Okay. What's the right ratio for pipeline to quota? Uh, 
so it does depend on industry whether it's more transactional or, or longer cycle complex i know i know i know that tony don't don't go there Come on. the answer is somewhere between 2.5 to 5 right and 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 if you're wondering just shoot for 3x right now, so let me can i put can i push back on this a little bit go for it okay what i'm going to say is i'm doing air quotes everybody says 3x yeah, that's the right number. What I've always preached, because I like you, was useless when I first got started in sales. And the only thing that I could think of that I could control to be better was to just outwork everybody and just like obliterate all these numbers so I could trip and fall into deals. I don't mean like revenue numbers, I mean like activity numbers, right? Pipeline numbers. So for almost 20 years now, I have pushed and preached and pushed hard on my managers, Richard can attest to, to aim for 10x, which sounds absurd, 10x pipeline to quota. But if you can get anywhere near there, even a terrible rep is going to trip and fall and hit their number. So why is it three and not 10? Why am I insane for trying to push for 10? What do you think? So I, so I think you are insane in pushing for 10. Um, I thought where this conversation was going to go was that you were going to tell me that you can succeed with a lower ratio because here's, here's, here's my opinion. And by the way, it, it is so amazing, Scott. Uh, we're exactly the same in the way that we began, right? I just thought, yeah. I'm just going to outwork everybody and you know, I'll, I'll get good in the process. If you've got absolute clarity about your ideal customer profile, and it's based on strong product market fit. And if you then understand your buyer personas, you can become much more targeted. And if you're monitoring for trigger events and using referrals, your success ratio is gonna go up through the roof. So, so I've seen sellers succeed with a pipeline ratio of two, of just two to one, because the people they're talking to have a high propensity to buy because they're strong product market fit, they solve a serious problem. Um, because the, I'll give an example for me, like I, I, I get a lot of inbound people wanting to talk to me th through LinkedIn and just because I built a brand, I'll regularly say no to clients because yeah. they'll say to things like, hey, Tony, this is great, can you send me a proposal? And I'll say, I'm not trying to be difficult, but no. <laughs> I love this so much because I literally just said this to Richard last night. Richard was like, do you have a template explaining all the things that you do or anything like that? And I'm like, nope, I don't send that stuff. Well, the thing for me is, is I do. So um, I've got a bunch of websites, but, but ha, there you go, Scott. But, <laughs> but here's the thing for me. If anyone goes to tonyhughes.com.au, for example, I've got, you know, a tab for speaking. If you want a keynote speaker, a thing for courses if you want to know about my courses, go to my website. There's a, yeah, there's a synopsis of every course that's all there, right? Yeah. But, I, but I say to people, I know this is strange for me to say to you when I'm the guy that's trying to sell you a course, but courses on their own don't work, right? The weak, the weak link in the revenue chain, from my experience, is sales management. And I know yeah. I may be, I'm, not, I'm pretending you're the prospect, right? I say, look, I'm not trying to offend, but but have, having the right methodology to solve a problem, like I've got combo prospecting as my methodology for pipeline, having a good methodology for solving the problem is one thing. 
then delivering it in a course or any learning platform, you know, is another, like that's, that's good, but it's, it's in the coaching and accountability where it will either succeed or die, succeed or fail as an initiative. So who's going to be holding the reps to account? Who's going to be saying, who's going to be saying to them, show me your list with phone numbers of people you're calling in the morning. I can see you've time blocks them outbound for Wednesday morning. That's great. Show me your list. Gee, you don't have a list. How are you going to be executing this well tomorrow morning? Who are the buyer personas you're targeting? What's your baseline narrative? Show me, you know, how you use Sales Navigator for the pragmatic research piece. We don't have time to boil the ocean with research, but someone's got to hold them all to account to do it. So, you know, the thing is, if if you're fishing in the right pond, right? If you know, if 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 you're preaching to the choir, you're going to convert a lot more people than you know, trying to turn atheists into Christians, right? You know, you know or, people from, or people from, right? So, you know, trying to convert an evangelical atheist to be a Christian is really tough. But finding someone who used to went, who used to go to church and has lost their way, they're far more open to have the conversation and coming back, right? So it's a case of, am I targeting the right people in my conversation? Am I just charging out of the trenches and running at the machine guns, telling myself that this is noble? I, I agree. I, I want to you know, just make sure you understand, Tony, that if you don't offend people on this podcast, you're not doing well. So we want you to offend as many people as possible, right? Like I, you know, if I, if you, you know, as well as I do, if you write something and it offends someone, it means you, yeah. it means you got them, right? Like, and that doesn't mean don't do something jerky, but like, that's kind of the goal to help them potentially get out what, of their own What way. he really means is if you can just disagree with Scott Moore, then it was a success. That's really what he's. That's not true, Scott. That's not true. I, I would never say disagree with you. So. I want to know. I want to know. Wait, hold on, hold on. You you've had your mic. Drop the mic. So, Tony. So I want to come back to you because you you really hit the nail on the head about management. And I I take it a step further though. I also feel like it's sales leadership because those frontline managers are, you know. They're, they're being asked to produce at a ridiculous capacity when they manage 10 people, 12 people, 15 people, or, hey, I need this report and this dashboard and this and this sort of, you know, that sort of world. So what advice do you give to, A, those managers to get their leadership to open their eyes? And what advice do you give to leadership or organizations to say, look, here's, your, here's what the expectations of your sales manager should be. Stop asking for all this other shit. Yeah, so, so we all know that there's the rise of uh, sales ops and rev ops, you know, within the business-to-business selling world. And th- that, that's designed to try and unload sales management. Another trend that's been going on is that organizations are, are flattening out and becoming leaner. You know, that's one of the results of COVID in 2020. So the span of control for a sales leader is becoming greater and they're just spread so thin. So uh, my advice to the ultimate leaders of organizations is... Uh, abandon this model of, hey, I just add a rep and that equals more revenue, right? That's lazy. We need to think about product market fit, idle customer profiles, buyer personas, addressable market, um, and engineer it that way. And then we need to help the sales managers go back, you know, really a return to the age of innocence where sales managers would spend most of their time out coaching their reps. Now, here's the thing. If you're a manager watching this and you've got a lot of reps, you think, I just don't have the time. Let me tell you about the biggest mistakes I made as a sales leader. Um, so the biggest mistakes I made 
was I held on to the wrong people for too long. I mean, the big mistake, big mistake before that is hiring the wrong people. <laughs> so if you're hiring people in a business development role, my first, my first piece of advice is don't hire someone that does not have a driver personality. You need, you need to be a self-motivated driver if you are to succeed in the world of business development. That's the first thing. You can't be an amiable personality, a people pleaser, a conflict avoider, and be successful. So you need someone with a driver personality. Figure out how to assess that. The next big mistake I would make is I'd hire people who couldn't write. Um, and I know we're in the world of podcasts and videos and things, but if you can't write, you cannot sell in a digital age. It's a thing I feel really strongly. And as a manager, if you hire people that can't write, they will make your head explode. They will consume so much of your time in you rewriting their proposals and executive summaries and their crappy emails that are way too long and, and waffle. So hire people- with I think I just found the title of the episode, What Will Make Your Head Explode as a Sales Manager? Well, yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, so, so the thing is, make sure you, you hire the right people and get rid of the wrong people. I held on to the wrong people for too long, believing I was being compassionate and doing the right thing but it's not good for them and it's not good for the company, keeping people in a role where they're going to fail. And then on, on that, then what you do is you think about your team, right? So you're never going to make a turkey an eagle. It's just, it's never going to happen. So if you've got someone who's a low performer, but they're, but they're paying their way, you know, that's not so bad. You've got to fire them and you can't find a replacement anyway. The big mistake is spending lots of time with those people trying to make them average, right? Leave them alone, <laughs> hold them to account, work at how you can help them at scale, you know, with, with others in a group and then focus on your leaders. Re so take the people that are good and help them be great. Make, help the people great, become coaches and mentors for others in the team, right? So really do that and focus on moving the middle to the top, lift the middle in your team. Don't try and resurrect the bottom is, is really my advice. And then you know, and, and coach people. It's all about holding people to account and coaching. That's, that's, that's large, especially in the era of people working from home where we can't really see them anymore. We live in the era of the side hustle. There's a bunch of predictions that we make in tech powered sales. One of them is that about a third of field sales reps in B2B selling will disappear this decade because resources are being moved to inside sales big time is one prediction. Uh, we're also in the era of the side hustle you know, everyone's developing a side hustle. Now they're out of the gaze of their boss. So yeah. the challenge for managers is how do we keep people engaged and motivated in their role? Yeah. What's the, I just wanted to mention them again, Tony, because one, you deserve it. You've earned it. Um, what is the name of the new book? It's coming out with Justin Michael. Yeah. The new book is called Tech Powered Sales. And, it's and that's coming out in June, right? Coming out in June by HarperCollins. Great. Um, and it's, like it's all very well for me to say this, I'm not trying to be self-promoter, but this book could never have been written by one person. I could never have written this book. Justin could never have written this book, but together uh, it's, it's insane. You know, the, the Justin Michael is the best uh, uh, leveraging of technology to drive top of funnel pipeline person I've ever seen on the planet. He was actually, he was actually the case study um, in, in, in combo prospecting, but he wouldn't let me mention his name in the book. He just wanted to stay under the radar. He's now given me permission to, but when I found him, I, I was coaching him and he ended up reverse mentoring me about social media. And I learned so much from him in how you can mash up tech stacks to drive amazing levels of productivity. 
So it's kind of old school and new school coming together in this new book. So how do you do all this stuff ethically is another big consideration as well. Is he really part cyborg? Like, you know, I know his image is, you know, part cyborg these days, right? Yeah, I've, I've actually often wondered. He's, he, he's an amazing guy. And we managed to convince HarperCollins uh, to allow him to narrate the book, you know, rather than a professional voice person. He's, he's just fantastic. He's an amazing guy. That's awesome. Yeah, we know we know him very well, and, and I agree with ah. you. He's really, really good. So, so, Justin, with much love, my friend. With much love. <laughs> He's a savant genius of pipeline development. Justin and I go way back. I'll, I'll tell you offline the funny story, Tony, if he has never told you before about uh, about him and I. I, I want. I have a question for you. I want to know when was the last time you changed your mind about something in sales? You had one belief. And now that belief has changed. And what was it? You know, the honest truth is, is no. Um, maybe for a little while, I, I started to drink the social selling Kool-Aid and bought into the social selling schlock that, you know, you, that, that no one answers the phone anymore. I, I very quickly abandoned that. I'd never fully bought into it. I've always believed that it's about multiple channels, but um, I got pretty fixated on LinkedIn, you know, as the way to go and sell. Um, but I very quickly abandoned that. I, I think anybody who, who buys into that notion that, hey, just use LinkedIn and you'll make your number, um, it's really a recipe for failure. So I, the thing I believe is there's timeless truths that we can apply in modern times. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of people like Zig Ziglar, you know, who's passed away now, passed away in 2012. But um, you know, all of his principles, if you can help enough people get what they want in life, then you can have what you want. You know, it really is about helping people. So um, all of the things about building rapport, conveying positive intent, um, it, be, it being about the numbers, um, I believe in all of those things. I've never believed in manipulating others. You know, the psychology of selling should never be used to try and manipulate another person. So it's just how we apply it with technology. Go ahead, Richard. Who, who do you, when, because you've written several books and, and you're known, what, who are the salespeople you look up to, admire, even, you know, they could be peers sort of at the financial or publishing level, like, yeah. who are the other good people out there? Let me say at the outset, at the risk of offending some people who might be watching this. Good. Um, that, that's what I, we want. That's yeah. what we want. Our industry, this, this bizarre cottage industry of self-proclaimed jacked up wannabe gurus in the world of selling, you know, is kind of a crazy little industry, right? But there's some people that- no, I was just gonna say, Scott, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. And me, and me, right? Like it's a, it's a crazy industry, right? Um, uh, but, but selling is broken and needs help. So there's people absolutely respect. I really respect, for example, Mike Weinberg. I think, I think Mike Weinberg is awesome. Um, Jeb Blunt, I think is fantastic. His book, Predictable Prospecting is fantastic. Mary Lou Tyler, I really respect. Um, Anthony E. Narino, a really good, really good book called Eat Their Lunch uh, is really good. It addresses the notion that typically today when you're selling, you've got to displace a competitor. You know, normally people have, have typically got something. Um, there's a guy called Kean McLaughlin in Australia. I regard him as the best person in the world uh, on pulling insights from win-loss reviews to really inform how you go to market. I literally just had a phone conversation with Kean on Monday where he was talking to me about this 
idea that he has, which you maybe know about. Which, which I, yeah, so, so Keen and I literally live within 20 minutes of each other and we're really good friends. I, I really That's respect him. Tell, him. tell him that we talked a couple of days after he and I talked. Yeah, uh, there's another good guy in Australia called uh, John Smybert, who's co-authoring a new book that I might write the forward for that, that'll come out about June this year that looks really good. Um, now, I've mentioned some people, so I'm sure I'm going to offend lots of others that actually left off the list. Like there's, there's, there's lots of other people I respect as well. Um, but, you know, you, you want people that have, that, have, that have done this in the real world, um, you know, and, and the thing I think that's helped me be successful is for, for three and a half decades, you know, I've, I've been a seller or a sales manager or a CEO, very focused on revenue growth. Um, and everything I do is born of the real world and it's born of blood, sweat and tears. You know, I've, I've, um, I've pulled myself off into little conference rooms in places that I've worked and been in tears, you know, just in frustration. I've been in jobs where I feel it's impossible to succeed. I've, I remember firing my boss once. I, I joined a very big multinational as a rep and I got given the white space, you know, as the territory. I jokingly used to say the white space is that part of the market that, that will never buy from you. Um, but I remember going back to my boss after four months saying, look, I'm happy to keep owning this and driving it, but there's no way anybody can make their number in this market. Here's why. Give me additional territory. I'll still do this, but give me additional territory to succeed. Because otherwise, you'll be having a conversation with me in 12 months about my non-performance, but I will have fired you before then anyway. So please give me more territory. He wouldn't do it, so I fired him. I left. <laughs> Right. Um, that concept of firing my love, boss. I love that too. I love that too. So Tony, who do you hate? Like, let's just go down that path. Like, who don't you admire? Uh-oh. Now <laughs> this is a dangerous, dangerous, loaded question. You do not have to answer this question. <laughs> Look, there's, 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 uh, there's nobody I hate in life. You know, uh, everybody's trying to do... Who, who's spewing bad sales advice? Well, any anybody who says that you don't need to use the phone is the giving phone you- is dead. Anybody who says the phone is dead, Tony doesn't like. Yeah, is, is giving you really bad advice. Anyone that says the buyer's in control, right, is giving you really bad advice. Like, um, you know, the, the reality is most, most buyers that go and buy something, like, let, let's think about someone buying a CRM system. You know, we've got Salesforce as a sponsor of this awesome company. Imagine someone going to market to buy a CRM system. The truth is most people are going to do that have never bought one before, right? They've never actually done it before. They, they, they don't know where all of the, all of the risks are. It's like, it's like putting your hand into a big bag filled with knives. You know, you can't see what's going on, right? So the seller always has the opportunity to provide some insights and educate the person, guide them through the process, help them with their business case, identify the risks, gather consensus, um, and the one who does the best job at that becomes the emotional favorite in, in the selling process. They go, well, that's, that's who I want to buy from. They, they took the time to understand what we're trying to achieve. They've educated us about issues and opportunities. And we know that research that was done by corporate executive board, now Gartner back in 2012 for Challenger, right? They surveyed 5,000 people, buyers, and they said, once you get a short list, what makes the difference? And it came down to four things, brand, the features, functions of what we're buying, um, price, price or value. And then the fourth thing was the engagement experience we have with the organization. Price was only 9%. Brand was 18%. The attributes of what's being purchased was only 18%. And 53% 
was the engagement experience. And when they went deeper, they said, well, what was it about it that made the difference? And it was, they educated us about issues and opportunities and they helped us manage our risks, right? They, they were probably the two biggest things in that list. Again, Scott, we just, you know, we've known this for years. We just never wrote the books. Yeah. Because yeah. we're yeah. too lazy. Because writing books is hell, as yeah. Tony can attest to. I'm yes. In, it's I'm, really in process, I'm in the process of finishing my third. And I'm pretty confident that it's going to be my last because I just can't <laughs> do it anymore. It's absolute hell. No, I'll make you write another one, buddy. I'll, well, I'll we're writing it together because like Tony said, it's a lot easier when you've got somebody writing it with you. Totally agree. Completely <laughs> agree. Um, this has been this has been fascinating, Tony. Um, we, we need to start to move towards wrapping up. But before we ask you our, our last couple of questions, um, a shout out to Salesforce Revenue Cloud, uh, Lead411 and Gong.io for sponsoring us. Um, we appreciate all their support. For those listening, the Surf and Sales event is on in November 2021. So go to surfandsales.com. We have sold out one session. We've still got room in a second and looking to bring on a third. We're hoping that Tony will come actually. We're you know gonna send the invite. You know, I don't know if you're much of a surfer, Tony. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually a water skier and a wakeboarder. There you go. All right, well, we got that one coming. So. <laughs> uh, but Tony, we always like to turn it over to people. What, what questions would you like to ask us? What do you wanna hear from us? What do you think the biggest challenge is for sellers in 2021? Richard, you wanna go first? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest challenge for sellers is to stop believing all the noise around them, right? Like it, it is true that COVID has happened. It is true that budgets might be cut, but budgets are always cut. Like. Yeah try to stop buying in to the narrative of negativity, which I think exists in sales anyway. COVID is, is a convenient excuse. It doesn't mean it's not legitimate, but you can't control that. So to your point, let's focus on what we can control. And I love the part you said is, you know, whoever wins the emotional connection and the emotional conversation wins the deal, right? And solving the pains, you know, that, you know, knowing the pain you solve for the persona is way more important. Like nobody cares what we do. Nobody cares that Richard or Scott or Tony or, you know, sales trainers, they could, they could care less, but they care we can solve a pain they have, right? They, that matters to them. So, so one, making sure you understand your narrative better and stop buying the excuses that are, that are, that are there. It doesn't mean you bulldoze anybody. It just means you move on to the next one, right? And, and leave a door open for later. That's my biggest one. Brilliant advice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal something from you, Tony. It's, it's just opening the call up or opening the relationship up. It's the beginning it because every, everything, I think the opening and getting a hold of somebody has always been the hardest thing. I just think it's getting harder and harder and harder. You know, I see people talking about how pickup rates on the phone go down. Right. I literally don't answer my cell phone unless I recognize the name that pops up. He won't even answer my call, though. Like, so no, that's a whole nother story. I don't even check my voicemail. My voicemail literally says, don't leave me a voicemail. Send me a text message. Email rates are going down. Why? Because we all get a million emails and notifications from everywhere. So our brains are exploding. Right. So just 
getting a hold of somebody, getting them to even give you a chance, I think is the biggest challenge in 2021. And it's why things like combo prospecting and using the right tools and being relevant is important. It's why brand building works. It's so much easier to get into a relationship after you've networked your kind of way in or been introed by somebody. The concept of like co-selling and partnering up on things I think is becoming more important, but it's just getting somebody's attention. It, to the degree that you can capture somebody's fully undivided attention, that's like the greatest gift that you can give somebody right now because it's almost impossible to do. Uh, so I think that's the hardest thing right now. I love that. Can, can I just close with a true story that speaks to this? Absolutely. Um, Please. One of my biggest clients uh, pre-COVID is a company called Flight Center Travel Group, a uh, public corporation operates around the world. They've got about seven different brands and I work with their business to business brands. Uh, and what they are is, is they do corporate travel. Now you imagine what happened to them in March when COVID hit, right? Their yeah. business just died. Mm -hmm. Now their leaders contacted me and said, all of our account managers and sellers are getting the same pushback from buyers or clients. And the pushback is there's no point meeting, come back and see us when the airlines are in the air. And they said to me, you know, what's, what's your advice? And I said, and this is really important, good advice for everybody watching this right now. Adopt the mindset of making the excuse the reason. So their excuse is there's no point meeting because the airlines aren't traveling. I said, let's create a narrative that's all customer centric, not us centric. And they've had amazing results because every leader around the world through COVID and the economic recession all of the boards and the leaders are thinking this way. Let's emerge through this stronger than our competition. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us as leaders to drive change that was previously not even imaginable. Workers, customers, unions, regulators, they're all giving us social license to drive change. We can reduce our workforce without people hating us. We can push customers into digital channels rather than physically seeing us. They accept that's all normal now. And we can improve customer experience and reduce cost concurrently. That's obviously what Salesforce does for its clients, right? So the leaders of businesses are wanting to improve results through COVID. So here's the narrative that we created. They call up a customer prospect and say, hey, with no one traveling right now, it's the perfect opportunity to drive 8 to 12% of cost out of what was and will come back to being the third to fifth biggest expense line on your P&L. And with no one traveling, you've got no change management issues and you've got the bandwidth in your admin team. So let's look at your travel policy and the way that you manage it as a process to drive eight to 12% of cost out and dramatically reduce your duty of care risk with staff. When can we make the time? And they've had amazing meetings and they're setting up accounts, switching competitor accounts over to them so that as travel comes back, it's gonna be with them and not the competition. So they're going to emerge stronger. So, you know, Richard, I agree with you. We need the right mindset. We need, don't buy into negativity. The boardrooms and the leaders, the new people into roles, they want to affect change. So speak to what matters to them and we'll drive amazing engagement. And Scott, you're right. The, the tough thing is how do you open? Beginning with somebody is the toughest thing. And we need that right mindset and the right strategies to do it. Yeah, that's a great story.
That, that's fascinating. And I, I love what you said about turning, making the objection the reason. That's beautiful. So thank you. So yeah. folks, uh, it's tonyhughes.com.au, right? It's combo prospecting. It's, gosh, I wrote it down. Sales. Yes. <laughs> so the new book coming out with our, our friend and, and um, cyborg, Justin Michael. So Tech powered sales, yeah. Powered. I was close. Yeah, there you go. See, he's, he's trying to rub it in on me. See? I was, I got it wrong. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much, man. This has been awesome and fun and educational and everything. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Richard and Scott, thanks for having me on. I just, I love your podcast. It's great. Thank you. Thanks, thanks. so much.